Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brennan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Jared Shore and Vivian Leckis from the law firm of Meth Festival in Warble in New Jersey. Jared is an associate with the firm and is a member of the firm's Employment Practices Group. His practice is concentrated in the areas of employment law, education law, discrimination, and civil rights. Vivian is an associate with the firm and is a member of the firm's Civil Rights Defense Group. Her practice is concentrated in the areas of employment law, education law, public entity law, discrimination law, and civil rights. We're very pleased to have you both with us today. Thank you for having us. Today's topic is finding individual liability under the New Jersey law against discrimination. And we'll start with you, Jared. Can you define for us what is the law against discrimination? In essence, the law against discrimination, or the LAD, which we'll call it for short, is a statute which outlaws unlawful employment discrimination against any person because of his or her age, ancestry, a typical genetic trait, color, creed, disability, marital status, national origin, and a host of other protected classes. It also outlaws discrimination in places of public accommodation, in real property transactions, and in some relationships governed by contract. Now, the LAD doesn't outlaw all discrimination. It only outlaws certain categories of discriminatory acts perpetrated against individuals falling into the classes the statute protects. But while the LAD's definition of discrimination is very broad, when we focus on the employment context, discrimination means a refusal to hire someone or discharging someone or requiring someone to retire or altering someone's compensation or other terms or privileges of employment because that individual is a member of a class protected by the LAD. Discrimination also encompasses harassment of an employee on the basis of membership in a class protected by the LAD. In addition to prohibiting discrimination, the LAD also forbids reprisals or retaliation against someone who opposes any actions outlawed by the LAD or who tries to vindicate his or her rights under the LAD. The statute protects individuals who are looking for a job but whose applications are denied for unlawful discriminatory reasons, individuals who already have a job and are subjected to unlawful discriminatory action by their employer, and in some cases even individuals who might be dissuaded from applying for a particular job because of a particular employer's known discriminatory practices. So as you can see, the LAD is a very broad and very powerful civil rights statute. Vivian, who can be sued in these types of cases? Well, John, the LAD specifically contemplates liability both against the employer and individuals. As Jared indicated, the LAD prohibits an employer from discriminating against certain protected classes and from retaliating against individuals. However, the LAD also specifically contemplates liability against any person who aids and abets any of the acts forbidden under the LAD. So discrimination under the LAD provides for both an employer's liability and an individual's liability, but the standard for establishing the liability is starkly different. An employer is held vicariously liable for economic damages when an employee engages in unlawful harassment. For example, if an employee is not promoted because of his age and therefore loses an increase in salary because of that non-promotion, the employer will be held liable for those damages. However, an employer is not always liable for emotional distress damages. In another example, in a hostile work environment context, if an employer uh, will be held liable for emotional distress damages, it's because the employee 
either did certain things. For example, if the employer either knew or should have known of the harassment and failed to take effective remedial measures to stop it, or if the employer delegated the authority to the harasser to control the working environment and that harasser abused the authority, or if the employer was negligent by failing to take reasonable steps from preventing the harassment from occurring. This, for example, could include an employer's failure to implement policies and procedures for understanding and reporting discrimination. The standard to hold an individual liable rather than an employer is a higher bar, and although there are no New Jersey cases directly on point with regard to individual liability for retaliation claims as opposed to discrimination claims, the standard appears to be the same. Okay, thank you, Vivian. And Brendan just joined us, so he'll be asking some of these questions as well. Uh, Jared, picking back up with you, can you define what the standard is for finding an individual liable? Sure. Well, first of all, we should note that in the employment context, when we talk about an individual being liable, we are only talking about supervisory employees. Um, our courts have held that non-supervisory employees cannot be held individually liable under the LAD. That said, the LAD prohibits individuals from aiding or abetting the doing of any act forbidden by the statute or even attempting to do so. Over the past decade, New Jersey's courts have rendered a series of decisions explaining just what aiding and abetting actually means. In 2004, in a case called Tar versus Chisuli, the New Jersey Supreme Court held that a supervisor aids and abets when he or she actively, purposefully, knowingly, and substantially aids someone else's discriminatory conduct and is aware of his or her role in aiding the discriminatory conduct at the time the aid is rendered. Now, the TAR standard sets a high bar for finding individual liability, and a 2008 decision called Cicchetti versus Morris County Sheriff's Office illustrated just how high. Cicchetti was a former Morris County Sheriff's Officer who was diagnosed with hepatitis C, and when word of his diagnosis spread throughout the Sheriff's Office, his co-workers subjected him to a really vicious campaign of harassment. Cicchetti complained numerous times to his supervisor, Under Sheriff Dempsey, who basically did little or nothing to stop the harassment. So Cicchetti eventually resigned, and when he did, he filed a lawsuit alleging disability discrimination and hostile work environment against, among others, Under Sheriff Dempsey individually. And the allegation was that Under Sheriff Dempsey aided and abetted Cicchetti's co-workers by failing to stop their harassment. When the New Jersey Supreme Court got the case, it held that Under Sheriff Dempsey could not be held individually liable for aiding and abetting because even though he failed to effectively respond to Cicchetti's complaints of harassment, merely not doing enough to remedy discrimination is not the same as actively and purposely aiding the discriminators. So basically what the New Jersey Supreme Court has said is that when we say active and purposeful conduct, we really mean active and purposeful conduct. By way of example, if a coworker of mine wants to put a piece of paper in Vivian's office on which is written, say, a misogynistic statement, and that coworker asked me to put it on Vivian's desk, and I put it on Vivian's desk even though I know what's written on the paper, I am aiding and abetting my coworker's harassment of Vivian. But on the other hand, if I know my coworker intends to put that paper on Vivian's desk himself, and I simply choose not to stop him from doing so, that is not active and purposeful conduct in aid of my coworkers' harassment, and my inaction would not constitute aiding and abetting. Uh, Vivian, have courts been uniform in interpreting the aiding and abetting provision? 
Not particularly. Some federal decisions and unpublished New Jersey decisions have seemed to depart from New Jersey precedent, even though they purport to apply New Jersey substantive law. For example, in Ivan versus County of Middlesex, a federal district court case, the court cited to Hurley versus Atlantic City Police Department a pre-Chiquetti Third Circuit decision and held that a supervisor can be held individually liable for his own discriminatory conduct, even in the absence of aiding and abetting. The court reasoned that since the Supreme Court in Chiquetti never expressly rejected Hurley's reasoning, it was permitted to make such a finding. Now, in a more recent 2013 unpublished New Jersey Appellate Division decision, Rowan versus Hartford Plaza, the court relied upon the federal Ivan case when it reversed the trial court's dismissal of sexual harassment claims against the supervisor, where the supervisor was alleged to be the harasser. So while New Jersey precedent has been established and the Supreme Court has spoken, apparently some courts disagree with the interpretation of the law and find ways to come to what may some may think is a more sensible conclusion. Uh, Jared, so are you saying that a supervisor who directly discriminates against an employee is immune from liability, while a supervisor who merely aids and abets someone else's discrimination could be held individually liable? Exactly. That is indeed the state of the law right now. Um, It has actually generated some discrepancies between the New Jersey Supreme Court's Tar and Cicchetti opinions on the one hand and some lower state and federal court opinions on the other hand. For example, in the Rowan case that Vivian just mentioned, the New Jersey Appellate Division acknowledged the TAR standard, but expressly chose to disregard it. The Rowan court basically said that the LAD is a broad civil rights statute. It's meant to remedy discrimination in the workplace. It has to be liberally construed, and an individual shouldn't escape liability because of what the Rowan court characterized as a narrow construction of the aiding and abetting provision of the statute. So obviously there is some disagreement within the judiciary about the height at which the New Jersey Supreme Court has set the bar for individual liability, but the Supreme Court president is binding, and Tarr and Cicchetti represent the state of the law today. And Vivian, what should insurance companies be aware of if faced with one of these claims? Certainly one of the riskiest aspects of these sorts of cases is the attorney fee-shifting provision. Typically, a party is responsible for paying his or her own attorney's fees unless the statute says otherwise. Well, the LAD is one of those statutes that says otherwise and allows recovery for all reasonable attorney fees if a plaintiff were to prevail at trial. Essentially, what this means is that if a jury finds a plaintiff was discriminated against or retaliated against, and even if the damages award is nominal, plaintiff's attorney would be entitled to all reasonable attorney fees, which in many cases constitutes hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is obviously a huge perk for plaintiff's attorneys and is part of New Jersey's remedial scheme to prevent discrimination and retaliation because it, of course, incentivizes plaintiff's attorneys to take on cases they may not have otherwise taken. This also has an impact on how the cases are handled from the insurance and defense perspective. In some instances, settlements become more attractive in cases that are not clear-cut winners for defense attorneys because of the risk of attorney's fees. Insurance carriers should definitely be aware of these risks and work with counsel to manage those risks perhaps through the filing of an offer of judgment, which is a tool outlined both in the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure and New Jersey Rules of Court. Essentially, a settlement offer is made to plaintiff, and if unaccepted, it has the potential to cut off plaintiff's attorney's fees from the point the offer of judgment was made under certain scenarios. It definitely is a tool that defense counsel and carrier should consider early on in many of their cases. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. That was Jared Shure and Vivian Leckis from the law firm of Meth Festival and Warble in New Jersey. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, John Weber. 
And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 